0: Uh, I do want to tell everybody good morning and and welcome. I'm Pastor Josh, if this is your first time with us, and I am glad that you are here. Uh, It is the start of the Advent uh, season, which means that Jesus has arrived and is arriving again, and we look forward to celebrating Christmas and Advent together. And We're kind of kicking off this morning with a a new series that we're calling The Characters of Christmas, and really what we're doing with these characters is we're seeing how they either have or haven't received Jesus, Um, and uh, kind of walking through that together over the next several weeks the the first character that I want to introduce to you is the innkeeper the manager uh, as he's often referred to and I actually want to share the passage in which this character arrives to us because he's actually not even there um, which is kinda curious So it means we're gonna have to use our imagination this morning so we know if you know or if you know the story um, there's been a census that has been sent out by Caesar Augustus, and he's taken a census of the entire empire, and Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, are going to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to the place where Joseph is from to, to be counted in the census. And that's kind of where we pick up in this story. And, and this is kind of the, in, the entirety of the whole manger uh, scene to a certain extent, or him, them being walking into the, to the innkeeper, excuse me, um, or the manager, and then going to the manger and Jesus being born in the manger. So here it is. This is what we're told in Luke 2, 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we're going to have to use our imagination here. Joseph and Mary are traveling roughly 90 miles to get to Bethlehem. Now, for us, that's about the distance that I just traveled this past week to go see my family for Thanksgiving. It took me, I guess, roughly about an hour and a half to get there. It would have taken them much longer because they're either walking or going by some type of animal. And we know Mary is pregnant. And so they're, they've traveled this 90 miles, and they get to Bethlehem. And you think that as they arrive uh, to Bethlehem, all these people are pouring in. And you know they're just hoping for a place to stay. Like, they're hoping that they can find a place to rest their head. And they walk up to the inn. They walk up to the hotel, and they knock on the door, hoping that there will be a place for them. Mary is nine months pregnant. The manager opens the door, looks them up and down, sees that there is a pregnant teenage girl in front of him with a young man barely old enough, to shave and he has to ask them how can I help you I'm sure this is where Joseph comes in and says sir we're looking for a place to stay the manager looks at them again thinking okay he's not heartless he sees the young lady she's pregnant very pregnant but he looks down at his guest list again and looks up at the young couple middle class at best probably lower middle class probably a little poor at this point looks back at his list and he says i'm sorry there's no place for you we're full and they probably really are so joseph begins to think well what do i do he asks the manager sir are you you sure you 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 can't you can't make room for us i mean there's nowhere that that we can stay here, do you know, are, are there, there's, is there any other room anywhere else, is there a family that would take us in, I mean where can we go? The manager begins to think, and he goes, you know what, I, I have a place for you. Um, you can stay in the stable, um, where people are keeping their animals, you can, you can go stay there, there'll be a roof over your head, you can maybe find some straw. You can make a, a bed there. It'll, it'll at least kind of keep you warm, and, and you'll have a place for, tonight, for the night. Is, will, will that work? And uh, I'm sure Mary and Joseph have a, a little talk there, and I'm sure Mary is side-eyeing and saying that, you know, we should have gotten here a little sooner. We should have made reservations. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gotten that before. Um, I traveled all summer a couple years ago, and I got in trouble for a couple of the hotels that we stayed in. I can only imagine how this one must have went. Right. Thankfully, they're newlyweds at this point. So they're there, and they realize that the only place that we have is the stable, and so they make themselves off to the stable, and the, the manager puts his head out the door. Shalom, which in the Hebrew means peace. It's both a, a greeting and a salutation or uh, a goodbye basically what he didn't know is that that night the Prince of Peace was going to be born in his stable that the God of the entire universe was going to be born through and by that young teenage girl Uh, I wonder if he would have known that, if the manager would have known that, would he have made space? Would he have figured something out? Would he have found a room? Would he have maybe kicked someone or somebody else out of a room that he had? I mean, they obviously weren't royalty. But if he would have known that the Son of God was going to be born that night, would he have found space? Now I believe he would have and here's the thing I know that each and every one of you would have as good capitalists I can only imagine right the signs that we would put up if Jesus were born in our hotel come sleep where Jesus slept <laughs> on my way home I see that the Wilbur Wright was born in Indiana that's kind of cool to me I'm from Ohio I'm from Dayton so like we're all about the Wright brothers look like, the only thing we got uh, uh, we're sti- like we're ticked about people from North Carolina that put Forrest and Flight on their license plate. I just want you to know that, because they were raised in Dayton. They figured out how to put those planes together in Dayton, right? the, the birthplace of Lincoln. Like you you see these signs as you drive around, uh, so you know this guy. Like if he would have known, Jesus, Jesus was born here. Come and see. But the manager missed it. He missed it. And my question for you today is actually really similar as we look at this character and as we think about the manager here is this, is do you have a place for him? Do you have a place for him? The the truth is, when you look at the Jesus story and you look at Jesus himself, he's actually really easy to reject. He's, He's rejected throughout his entire life. His life begins and ends with rejection. And roughly everything in between kind of has rejection in it. Uh, Jesus draws crowds occasionally, but soon after he draws crowds, he's also rejected by people. We're told that when Jesus enters his hometown that he's not even welcome there. He's rejected in the place that you think would, would welcome him, would celebrate him would want him there. When Jesus asked people to come follow him, he tells them, he says this, that that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. It's very likely that Jesus spent a lot of the time sleeping in kind of caves and wherever he could find to rest his head. And and Jesus didn't even like, the the reason that Jesus was telling people that is because he he wanted people to, to know like if you come follow me, like this, this, your life might look like this. You might get rejected with me or alongside of me. Uh, this rejection was actually predicted, though, by the prophet Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah says about Jesus, who predicts that will be. He'll be a rejected, suffering servant. This is who the Redeemer will be. Isaiah 53, three through six says this about Jesus. And Jesus believed this about himself. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and a punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the one we're celebrating today, the one we're here worshiping, knows rejection. He knows what it's like to be born in a manger and then hung up on a wooden cross with nails stuck through his hand. We have a perfect person here, not an appearance. If you look in Isaiah here, anytime that Jesus is described, he's never described as like a, a six foot six tall, like great looking man, right? Like me. Like he's he's <laughs> he, he's he's described as somebody who really like was was nothing to look at. Perfect person, yet he's punished. He's punished, and why is he punished? why is he rejected uh, he he's rejected because the bible describes our nature and even Jesus when he's uh, around people like he, he he loves people but what Jesus says actually he says he doesn't he didn't he didn't really trust them yet during his earthly ministry why because he knew what was in the heart of man that's what we find in john and here in isaiah what we see is that there's this deep-seated part of human nature that must be dealt with to be in relationship with God. And so in Isaiah, it's described kind of in, in two terms. It's described in transgressions. And we're told that Jesus, he's crushed for our transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions are when we break trust with God or others. And what Jesus says is that that is something that we do on a regular basis. That's, that's something that's, that's in us. And that's something that must be dealt with the second is iniquities and that's behavior that is crooked so jesus dies for our transgressions because it's hard to trust one another it's hard to trust ourselves and we break trust even with the the promises that we make with god and other people but also because our behavior can be crooked now sin we talk about sin more than anything else in the church and it's kind of a catch-all word and what sin means is that, that we, we, we go in the wrong direction or that we miss the mark or we fail to live as God would have us to live. And, and really the opposite of sin is part of our mission. It's to love God and, and to love people because when we love God and love people, God, what happens is that we are put in right relationship with both God and people and societies and cultures and families and relationships. What, they, what, what happens is they begin to be restored and put back and to the places that they, they should be if we all really trust God. Now, let's be honest. Uh, none of our lives have reached the point where we fully experience what God would want us to have. But as we do that, God is moving us into the direction that we would experience the kingdom and experience the presence of God and experience what our life would be like if we didn't have iniquity and transgression in our life. So what happens then is that Christ takes responsibility for all of our iniquities and our transgressions when he looks at the broken world and he is crushed for us? Like he takes on the punishment that we deserve because of our sin, because of our iniquity, iniquities, and because of our transgressions, and he is rejected. He's rejected by us, and he takes on our punishment, our sin, our pain, our brokenness on the cross. And he calls each and every one of us to leave our sin behind. And not only that, our shame and our guilt for our sin behind. Now, Jesus today, I think, is still rejected for these reasons. Because he tells us that we can be crooked, and he wants to straighten out our paths, he wants to straighten out our lives like some of us we would just prefer to live in that like we we'd prefer to live in our transgressions we prefer to live in our iniquity we prefer to live in our sin and do our own thing and go our own way and so some of us like we don't actually have room in our lives for Jesus and for what he wants to do and what he wants to call us to others of us I think reject jesus because of what he says we need from him like we need him to die for our sins we need him to be punished for us like we we need his grace like only he only he can pay the debt for our sins like you can't earn it you can't pay for your sins the bible says the wages of sins are is death and so if you're going to pay for this it's the, the outcome is not going to be good and so what Jesus is saying is that you either have to follow me with all that you are or you have to trust in yourself. And so many of us would rather trust in ourselves instead of let him in. And so Jesus, what happens is, he says he's rejected for a number of reasons. I'm sure there, there are other reasons that Jesus is obviously rejected. But these are some reasons that Jesus is rejected and we're told he's rejected. Now the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus knows this is going to happen and Jesus knows this is happening on a regular basis but but Jesus never starts with rejection in fact although Jesus was rejected throughout his life he came to show us that he didn't come to reject us he came for us he came to welcome us we might think that Jesus or yeah Jesus or Mary and Joseph showing up to the manager that night and the manager Sending Jesus to the manger was a mistake. But it wasn't. For whatever reason, in the fullness of time, God decided that Jesus was going to be born in that manger. He was sent to the manger to show that Jesus is not going to exclude anybody. That he's, he is welcoming everybody. He is extending his hand to everyone. But Charles Spurgeon says this about the manger. He says, we might tremble to approach the fo- throne, but we cannot... A- we cannot fear to approach a manger in other words Jesus is born in the manger because he shows that he wants to welcome everybody he wants he wants anybody who is remotely attracted to him to come to him Uh, my grandfather uh, used to say he used to train quarter horses to run barrels and poles and uh, so I used to go to horse shows every once in a while with him. And, and so that's like my extent. he had a farm. And so my extent of kind of uh, being in and out of barns. And one of the things that you were noticed, if you're in the stables, especially when a lot of people are around, there, there are all kinds of people around. There are the people who train the horses. There are people who own the horses. There are people that are buying the horses. There are the people that are selling the horses. There are the people that are cleaning out the stalls. And there are little, like, twerps and kids like me who were, running around the, the stables and the barns. And so you had all types of people there from all different types of places, from all different socioeconomic statuses. And they're all in the barn and they're all in one place and they're all welcome in that place. And that is what is going on here by Jesus being born in the stable and in the manger. And Jesus' life ends up being a reflection of this. When the disciples want to turn five thousand people away because they can't feed them, Jesus says, No, look at the five thousand, look at the crowd, I'm going to feed them. He welcomes the widows, the kids, the Jesus' disciples again, they kind of get away. He says, No, they, they need to come to me. Jesus is criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus walks and rides slowly through the crowds. And as we see this and as we think about Jesus' life, the way that we need to think about this and the way that we need to welcome people, even in our own church, we need to think about who Jesus invites in and how he invites you to follow him. And, and the people, the people that are attracted to Jesus and the people that stand by Jesus and follow him are those who actually see their need for him. They're, they're people who know their lives are broken, they're sinners who know they're in need of a Savior. Who are looking for redemption, who are looking for wholeness, who are not figuring out, like, how can I just kind of pick myself up? How can I work hard enough to get things done? But who can save me? Who can forgive me? Who can actually guide me? Who can I put my trust in? And this is what Jesus is calling us to. And he's calling everyone into this. And Jesus is welcoming everyone because anyone can come to Jesus we often try to kind of make even sometimes church or our lives or our our, our homes a place for all, for kind of only people that look like us think like us right? Uh want to be like us or whatever and we, we try to exclude people uh, and the the, the 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 ancient world wasn't even different even in, even in reality is probably more tribal than even we are to a certain extent and, and what the church was trying to do and what Jesus was trying to do is really fight back against it and in fact I mean when you see Paul and others trying to trying to reflect the diversity of people within the church and welcoming people in the church and is having to write the church and tell the church no we 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 have to be welcoming people in and telling them about Jesus and who he is and here's uh, part of it in the Colossians 3 11 through 12 it says, here there's neither Greek and Jew, or and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's saying, look, church, like all of these people are not just welcome at the foot of the cross, they're welcome at the manger, is what Jesus is doing here at Christmas, and he's inviting them, and we have to make sure that we are doing the same. And we're given this vision eventually in Romans or excuse me Revelation 7 and in the throne room of God what they see is they see a a great multitude of people from all different places and all different people who have approached Jesus and come to Jesus and said that they need Jesus and here they are worshiping with Jesus and this is John's vision and he says after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So Jesus is asking us and what Jesus is doing in his life and throughout his life is he's, he's asking us to welcome all people and he's welcoming all people but he is not fully welcomed by all. Just because Jesus welcomes somebody doesn't mean that they invite him in or that they're invited in. Now, If you're here this morning and you're not a christian jesus is inviting you in this is a part of the sermon though i'm going to talk to christians um because i asked right do you have a place for him the the manager right clearly had a place for jesus and probably even like i i think he probably wanted like he wanted to make room for mary and joseph there but you know, he just wasn't ready to, to receive them, or he relegated them to kind of a, a different place, to the stable. We also can do that with Jesus. We can have kind of rooms that we keep Jesus in, or we can compartmentalize Jesus and say, Jesus, you're good over here, but I, I don't really want you over here in this part of my life. Sometimes compartmentalizing our lives is a good thing. I don't always take everything home from work. But Jesus wants us to welcome him in every room. And so here's another question for you. Is Jesus fully welcome in every room? Is Jesus fully welcome in every place? Or do you relegate him to a room? Uh, Matthew 7.24 says this. "says everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man, a wise man, who built his house on a rock. And so Jesus says that when we welcome him in, and we make our lives about him we're wise and we're to build our house on the foundation if you build any part of your house off the foundation that house is unstable it's not good Jesus is making the assumption that all of life should be built upon him and he he provides this ability to life and so that we shouldn't compartmentalize Him, or we shouldn't say okay Jesus you're good over here but you're you're not good over here or I'll follow you here with this part of my life, but I'm not going to follow you with this part of my life. Now, we could go through every part of your life right now and and look at, okay, where is Jesus? Is he there? Is he central in your life? But we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to kind of look at three areas um, really quickly here and whatever the Holy Spirit is doing with you. If you know, like, there's a part uh, that Jesus needs to be in, just let's let's deal with him and put him there. But um, I'm going to start by having some fun here. What about in your politics? The best way to ruin the holidays is to talk about politics. So why not? All right? why not? My mom will be going somewhere, we'll meet up with my family or whatever, and she'll look at my dad and I, and she'll go, boys, make sure you don't bring up whatever it is, All right? Which is funny because my mom's like stuck on more political stuff than any of us. But the beauty of it is, is I don't have to. My uncle's going to anyways. Like I, and so, like we and, and let's be honest, like we're in church, the church should make a difference in our life. Like we should be talking about real things that that happen. And I'm not gonna get into all these issues right now or or whatever, but but we should be We should be thinking about this we should be thinking about this part of our life and we're political animals I mean the the politics determines how society functions and how we operate in and all those sorts of things so we shouldn't be we shouldn't be scared of it although we are for good reason sometimes there's a reason just to kind of avoid a a certain conversation at a certain time and so 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 I I get it I get it Um, but we got a presidential election coming up in the next year and, and things have been just crazy over the past several years um, and we we need to navigate this as a church, and you need to navigate it as a follower of Christ, as as Christ would have you. And so, I, I do want to point out something that uh, a lot of us uh, should think about is that Jesus wasn't necessarily apolitical. Uh, in fact, Jesus' first words were a it was a political statement to a certain extent. Did you realize Jesus' first words in uh, his ministry were this? Good. There we go. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come near now when jesus does this what he is doing is he is saying that there's a kingdom that you all are living in and then there's my kingdom and he's giving people an opportunity like which one are you going to live for which one are you going to live for uh, later on in his ministry uh, what happens is that jesus isn't playing the games that people are wanting to play And they're trying, what we're told is that the Pharisees, these are the religious folk, by the way, they are trying to trap Jesus. And they're trying to, the the Bible says they're trying to entangle him, basically in his own words. And so they come to Jesus, and they hand him a coin. And on the coin is the face of Caesar. And they ask Jesus, they said, Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? And Jesus pauses, and he looks at the coin, and he asks them. He says, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, Caesar's. Now, they're trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to get Jesus to play their games here with them. Because if Jesus answers in a way that promotes Caesar what he is showing is that he's affirming this idea that Caesar believes that he's God because Caesar does believe that. But if he somehow degrades God, the Pharisees are going to be upset because, well, God is God. And so he should be put in a place above Caesar. So Jesus asks them, he says, whose face is on this coin? And they answer, Caesar's. And so here is Jesus' response to the Pharisees. He says, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. He just kind of leaves it there. And his question, or this answer, excuse me, it's interesting because it doesn't threaten Caesar. Uh, Caesar isn't trembling in his boots that Jesus is going to have some type of uprising or anything like that. But what it does is that it actually throws the question back in the Pharisees' lap. You have to realize these are religious people. These are God-fearing people who are asking Jesus the question. And he says, give to God what is God. And what he does to these people who are following God is he puts the question back in their lap. And this is the question basically he leaves them is who really rules the world. Like, not just that, but who really rules your world is what Jesus is trying to get them to think about. Before this, Jesus calls them hypocrites because he can see that they're, they're, they're playing these games that, that he's not going to play. And he's saying, yeah, there's, there's kind of two kingdoms that are going on here, but I'm going to rise above this earthly kingdom this one I gotta play in it I, I, I gotta make sure that I am a part of this that I am doing what is good and society but you need to answer the question like who do you belong to who in, in the way that you behave uh, the way that you think about policy the way that, that you think about your party, the way that you think about the person that you are behind? Okay. Jesus says, are, are you behind me in all of that? Or are you getting in lockstep with other people? Are you are you being guided by just the parties? And are you affirming everything that goes on? Are you allowing me to? Th- To help you to think about and organize how you think about all of these things and let's be honest no person or party or anything that we have going on in these other kingdoms are lining up with what jesus would have us to do and be and i think some really easy ways to tell this are are, are like one like do you feel like you have to defend somebody to their death like can your person or party do no wrong if that's the case like you've probably made them god if you if you can't handle like humor I I love humor I about told a joke earlier that I knew would get me in trouble I didn't tell it um, uh, I didn't I didn't tell it because like you, whatever we can't joke about like we have made it a God if you notice like I don't one of the things I don't joke about I typically don't joke about God I've pretty much I, tr- I, I like I feel like I could joke about anything else in my life myself other people whatever but when we can't joke about things anymore, we've, we've, we've put God in that place. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's putting this back in the religious, religious people's lap. And he's, he's asking them, right, who really rules the world? And what kingdom are you serving in an ultimate sense? I think this will help your conversations. This will help the things that you post. This will help the way that you think about things. And some of you are called to politics, like, like by all means, Create the change that you need to to create for the good of the most amount of people. But but be careful not to play the games that other people play. The second area in our life um, is the marketplace or where we work. Where we work. Our work is, or our worship is connected to where we work. Uh, Jesus walks into part of his ministry, he walks into the temple. He walks into the temple. And uh, this is what we're told. He says, he's ticked because they're selling goods in the temple. And he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, what's going on here is uh, that people are selling sacrifices that people need. They have traveled. Just like Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for a census, they're traveling to uh, a place where they need to come and worship and to worship properly. Uh, They need to be able to buy uh, uh, uh sacrifices or they need to be able to buy animals not all of them are farmers not all of them are are wealthy enough to keep animals and stuff throughout their life and so what's happening is they're in the outer area of the courts And by the way the outer area of, of the courts are where the poor worship and where the foreigners worship and so that's where these people are set up and so when Jesus walks into the temple and he sees that people are selling he's really ticked for two reasons the first reason is that people are selling where people should be worshiping. And not just anybody, but the poor and the foreigner, uh, the outcast who has come to worship uh, the God of the universe here. And so Jesus walks in and he sees this, so he's not happy about this. But I want us to focus this idea on Jesus is mad at the robbers. that they're, they're, He calls them robbers. So not only are they set up here, but the, what they are selling, they're selling these, these objects of worship uh, and these animals that are going to be sacrificed for a price that is too high for the people needing to pay and so he's ticked at them he's not ticked at commerce the the commerce was a good thing the people needed that it was a good that was being provided to the people but there was a place outside of the temple that was originally set up for all that but now out of convenience they moved inside of the temple And so what they're doing now is they're taking they're taking advantage of the poor they're taking advantage of the people around them they're taking advantage of the culture and society and they're not they're not operating in a way that they should operate as people who have jobs that are legit. And so Jesus has upset about this. And so I think in our lives too, we can have jobs and we can operate in a way that aren't actually good for other people. They might be good for us and it might be good, convenient for us, but it's not good for others. And um, I mean, I'll just tell you like I'm a, and a lot of us, we actually don't have um, a lot of power behind this, but you know, you, you look at what's going on in our culture and and society and like I don't know how my kids are gonna be able to afford to buy a house. I mean hopefully they just do really well, they become doctors, lawyers, like all and they just kill it, right? Like and they're able to do that or, or cars or education and all these things. Things are getting more and more expensive. And as people as you get in positions where you think about how do how do people live, how do how do we provide uh, living wages to people, how how do we how, how do we help people? All these sorts of things, I mean this these are these are issues, these are Jesus issues. These are allowing jesus into the marketplace these are allowing this is allowing jesus into our lives and maybe you're not in positions that have anything to do with that are able to help at all with that even as a normal everyday maybe blue cat collar teacher whatever worker your work is a part of your worship and your worship is a part of your work and and jesus wants to be in on that part of your life and he wants to be there Have you let him into that part? Third, uh, the last thing I want to talk about here is really simple, and it's the church. Um, If you notice, the people that wanted to trap Jesus uh, were the Pharisees. They were people that should have been welcoming Jesus. And we're told from the very beginning, this is basically John's Christmas. We don't preach out of John a whole lot at Christmas. But what we're told in John 1.11 he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him in other words that jesus could show up in a different part of our life or to us or in the church among his followers and we could miss him in matthew 13 we're told that his his family and those who knew him best they even took offense at him like sometimes we can show up and we can we can be offended by Jesus but even that being the case Jesus is always asking us like hey can I come in can I be a part of that part of your life and so we need to be careful as people who follow who follow Jesus who know what it's like to experience his goodness and his glory who know what it's like to respond to the Spirit who know what it's like to come together among the people of God to not miss him to not turn him away. Maybe it's because he might call us to something that we don't like in the moment, or he might call us to something that we're just afraid of. Or, or maybe we're just, we've gotten to the point where we're just not excited about Jesus anymore. Like we're, we're what uh, John says in in John 3 to the church in Laodicea, like we're lukewarm, and that's where, where I kind of want to end here, um, around this Christmas season, is with the vision and Revelation 3, is John has this vision in Revelation 3, and he's talking to different churches, and he writes to the church of Laodicea, and what he says about them is really interesting, he says, you're not really hot, and you're not cold, in other words, you're just kind of like going, you're just kind of going through the motions, like Jesus might have a spot here, he might have a spot here, but over here in this part of your life, he's he's not at work, and you haven't welcomed him him in. Like he's, He feels to be helpful here, but not helpful here. And John is writing here, and he has this vision of Jesus, and he's talking to the church. And in Revelation 3, 19 through 20, he says this. He says, who, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, I have no rebuke or discipline for you all this morning. This is just... Message, take it as it is. But what Jesus says is that those who he loves, he corrects. Like he disciplines. He wants to get them on the right path. And then he says this He says, So be earnest and repent. In other words, if there's any part of your life that Jesus hasn't entered into, that Jesus isn't central in, give that to him. Turn that over to him. He says, this and then Jesus goes on to this church and who's neither hot or cold he's just kind of going through the motions Jesus is nice right probably not Lord here I am I stand here at the door and I knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me Jesus is always knocking He's always asking to come in every part of our life. And the point of the message is really simple, like let him in to the part that you haven't let him in at. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you've come and it's Christmas time and you feel like you've been drawn by God to come to church. Jesus might be knocking and he's asking to come in and the only thing you need to do is open that and let him in. Give him your life. You don't need to clean yourself up first. You don't need to get right first. Jesus will work on all that later. He's paid for your sins, for your iniquity, for your transgression. He doesn't want you to live with guilt or shame. He just wants to live with you every space of your life will you invite him in we're going to end here by taking communion um, and uh, what a great time to be reminded that jesus wants us to come in and he's going to eat with us as we eat with him uh, communion we call it communion or the lord's supper communion i like that uh, because it's reminded that we are going to commune with god and god with us as we are here together and so as you come forward You might be asking or thinking, um, I guess you might be thinking, right, about this meal, about Jesus communion, communing with you and being with you and being in in every part of your life. And so here's how we're gonna um, come to the table. So every person will come these rows or these seats here. You'll come down this aisle, and you'll come here, and then you'll return here. Here you'll come here and return there come here and return there does that make sense alright let's pray and then we'll come to the table Father we come to you today and we welcome you into every part of our lives let us not turn you out as we come together and take communion let us remember that your presence is in this place